<laughs> you know what? To be honest, I legit thought, should I have a glass of wine? But I was like, eh. Oh my oh. god. <laughs> it's seven o'clock in the morning. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Good super morning. It's it's a super early morning for Trisha. Thank you for joining us at 6.30 a.m. Yes. Yes. Uh, Bright-eyed and, and tail. And just to catch everyone up, she has not had a drink yet, but she has been considering it. So <laughs> that's that's what it's like in California at 6.30 a.m. If you hear some slurping at some point, she has poured <laughs> the glass of wine. Some desperate slurping. <laughs> oh, my God. This picture you all are painting of me is absolutely erroneous. I, I just want to say, if anyone's listening, we're totally having fun with this. Trisha is not an alcoholic. <laughs> just... I went back and listened to some old episodes, and we razz you on this a lot. And like, God, the picture of like an employer is going to listen to this and be like, "Wait a minute!" Exactly. <laughs> there goes it's my livelihood. It's an ongoing joke, except for when it's not. Huh. <laughs> Jason, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really what, good. What's new? What's new? I have to admit, I'm wrapped up in the Game of Thrones season eight. <laughs> So oh, I can't wait for tomorrow. Just it's like oh. a full week of torture. This is mm. why we binge watch these days. Can I just say oh uh, equivocally, uh, unequivocally, um, I don't give a fuck about Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> and I I was in a bar hanging out with people the other day, and the conversation turned to Game of Thrones. Ugh. I spun on my heel and walked right out. I didn't say goodbye. <laughs> That's the it's, only thing you could do. It, you can't, because you know what? It was too much. And between me walking through the door, two other people asked me if I watched Game of Thrones. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what's so interesting about it? So like last Sunday, I went on um, my social media feeds. I was on Facebook and then I was on Twitter. And it was 90%. I kid you not, maybe not even 95% Game of Thrones. And I was thinking to myself, how odd is it that all these different people from all these walks of lives have all settled on this one particular show? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking maybe this was like what it was like when it was like the Cosby show era or something. But yeah, it's like, it's amazing to me. The cricky, the, the funny thing about it is that, um, first of all, Game of Thrones, I tried watching one episode and two things. It's literally dark and also figuratively dark. I can't, it. I can't make out anything that happened on the show. I was like, I, I, was like, I tried watching, I was like, uh. and then, Everyone, <laughs> isn't this The Sopranos all over again? Oh my God, it kind of is. People love The Sopranos. And, and people also love Breaking Bad, although not to this degree. No, not everyone watched Breaking Bad. Break, but Breaking Bad was like very specific. It felt like it captured a particular crowd. It's like Breaking Bad versus like The Wire. I think those were comparable. There's like a set group of people. Yeah, but actually, I think Game of Thrones has full on market penetration. Like, I think oh, yeah. mo- mostly everyone I know watches Game of Thrones. So, what's which, going on with the three of us? Oh no, Jason! Watches I, I watch it. I'm, I'm all. Oh, in. that's right. The two of oh, us. Oh yeah, no, no, no. two of you. I, I can't. I don't. Care. It's you know what? And every time I tell people I don't watch Game of Thrones, they're you know they're like that that meme with the white guy with the blinking. They're like, you <laughs> don't like Game of Thrones, and I'm like, because like I like medieval stuff. I like fantasy. 
Um, yeah, it like should be your thing. Should, yeah, it, it does seem like something you. Everyone do. says like, it's why isn't that up your alley? And it's just you know, it's like not. you said, Trisha, it's very dark, <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes it's like, do I want to mire myself in this for an entire hour? And not huh? for nothing. Um, no people of color. Like that's oh, not true. But you that's know not what? true though. But that's not, there aren't true. enough people of color, but there are definitely people of color. But that's not even. But the funny you, thing is, yes. that's your biggest fan base too. People, and people of color. Are, yeah, that's a huge. It's like a massive thing. They, they do a whole thing on Twitter, and it's like Dem Thrones or something. But the funny thing is about it is, people are always like, "But you have to watch it because it really teaches you how white people operate in the world." I was like, "Hello, we." Have I don't need thing. any instruction. <laughs> 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 I was like, "Are you alive?" And it is the presidency. I think we're all okay with it. I mean, it's like watching Game of Thrones play out live, except they don't kill each other. I love the delicious privilege of being able to point to something and be like, oh, that's how white people operate. I had no <laughs> other, so there was weird. no other ingress of information, but thank God for Game of Thrones. Got it now. Yeah. It's cool oh, to ahead. see people unified in that way. Cause it's like, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not my thing. My biggest problem though, is that it does take over everything. So it's not like, it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to talk about it after like an hour of the show is over. It literally takes over my Twitter timeline the whole week, night all week. And, <laughs> well luckily no thank god not all week but like at least all sundays lost to it and then a little bit of monday and then by then people have calmed down and they've gone <laughs> on with their lives but yeah <laughs> i just i want to say a couple things so one about actually, game of thrones yes okay okay one <laughs> One, I actually think it has quite a bit to say about race. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about it. I mean, it definitely has commentary on a lot of contemporary social issues. Feminism, sexuality, race. Like, I, I think it actually does well with all that. God, there's a lot I want to say about it. Then you two are just going to cut me off. But, but um, Oh, this also- is all getting edited out. So you can say whatever you want. It's fine. But we've talked about sports. And, like, last night I'm in a restaurant and I'm watching, like, just – literally behind my girlfriend is a big screen that is showing the draft, the NFL draft. And there's so much data. They keep saying like, you know, 2015, the sixth pick in the second round went to this team. And I've always been struck by professional sports because so many Americans I find have no interest in data unless it has to do with professional sports. And I'm like, why don't we look at the data around like how much our kids are learning or the GDP of countries in the Southern hemisphere? No one cares about that, but people are so interested in like this really hyper acute data around sports. And I feel that way about game of Thrones, game of Thrones actually there's quite a bit. It references, you know, history in all different ways and all different histories around the world. And I'm just like, wow, it'd be great if people were actually interested in the history rather than just the fantasy show that references the history. It's interesting. And then the last thing I was going to say, because you brought up The Sopranos, I can remember years ago hearing an interview about how The Sopranos was ending and everyone was going to cancel their HBO subscriptions. And I, I was like, I, I like scoffed at that. I thought that was so ridiculous. And then I have to admit, I stopped subscribing to HBO until last Saturday when I subscribed again to watch Game of Thrones. So. Um, how were you watching Game of Thrones before? Did you it's just been read off it? the air for a year and a half? Yeah, it was, it was off the air. So I, I cut it off. You, you unsubscribed for like a year? Yeah. Wow. That's fine, though. I mean, I think that's the a la carte economy that we have nowadays. I mean, I think 20 years ago, I would have scoffed, too. I was like, you're going to cancel HBO because Sopranos isn't on. But thanks to The Sopranos and Sex and the City, which came out a a year later uh, or two years later, it ushered in this whole age of like this prestige 
it's not a prestige channel anymore. It's just prestige programming on that channel. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, it, that's not so strange. Yeah, you, there's no never you, any reason for me to subscribe to HBO. You brought up the NFL draft. One time I was in a bar and there were straight people everywhere for some reason. And there was <laughs> sports on the TV. And I couldn't figure out the context of what I was watching. I think it had something to do with basketball. Mm-hmm. And they kept like trotting out like these very handsome young men of color. And then like all these stats would go up on the screen. And I think there was like a studio audience on the show and they were like applauding and like, they would like make them dunk or something. (laughs) And it would, the entire process, like watching it without sound made me feel very uncomfortable. There was something, there was something elemental going on there because like, I don't know, it was all these like, black and latino men like like literally up on a dais with all mm-hmm. these stats next to them and people like admiring it it just i don't know oh yeah. look, listen plantation of the 21st century I've yeah said it before. the slave <laughs> metaphor is really thick i mean the only difference is they're paid a tremendous amount of money but if it's the nfl they're paid a tremendous amount of money to have their bodies damaged beyond yeah. repair so yeah. uh but no <laughs> it's amazing no, Last night, so before the draft started in earnest, which it caught my eye at first. One, the screen was right in front of my face, but two, it was in Philly and it was set up outside right in front of the art museum. So it was kind of, a, it was cool, like kind of visually, but it started with a red carpet. And so these <laughs> players are walking down the carpet in suits that have been tailored for them. And I've heard lots of coverage about how hard it is to tailor suits for NFL players because they have really skinny waist and really huge thighs, et cetera. What the fuck does that mean? You just sew it. Like, I'm sorry. No, I, each one of them ha- gets like a tailor made. Yeah, I'm so sick of hearing designers make, I can't do this. Like, that's literally what you do. Just anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, it's because they've gotten used to having 12 year olds in Bangladesh sew the clothes, right? But, um, and also size zero models. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but, and then like walking down the carpet, and, it, you know, and this was also watching it without sound. It was just very interesting because it was like this presentation is so often gendered female, you know, for the Oscars and stuff. And, the mm-hmm. players were acting very much the way, you know, like actresses, skinny actresses act going down the carpet. And it was just so interesting that, I don't know, I just found it really strange. Do you know, you can do a lot of gendered behavior, tr- traditionally gendered female behavior, if you do it with um, sports people. Hmm. Because like the sports makes their masculinity unassailable. And then you can just add any other element to it. And that's people so yeah. interesting. Wow, that's, that's why there's all that partial yeah. nudity and ass grabbing and no one you can do all I manner mean, things yeah. you can sit, you can hug you can do a lot on but as long as they're sportsmen nothing nothing That's is off the table fascinating <laughs> i've saw, never thought about that i saw a clip online about like these two baseball players who like on the field they have like this crotch grab friendly crotch grab thing they do they fully cup each other's balls and penis with their hands in the middle of the field while everyone's watching and not a whiff of anything. You know what I mean? Like Tom Cruise can't order a salad without people thinking he's gay. <laughs> but like these two are fully fondling each other That's in so public. True. But because they're in a sportsing arena, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Funny. You also just explained to me why half of Key and Peele's skits are funny. Like that's what that's the subtext. I never realized it. (laughs) What they put them in mail they put them in sports spaces? (laughs) Yeah, they have a whole thing about ass slapping and this like and then they have another thing about the like, you know, the post touchdown dances with like 
you're, they're dancing kind of like strippers. Like it's that's hilarious. That's why homosexuality in sports is like it's a fi- it's the final frontier. It's the you final can't. frontier because you, you have to you have to reconceptualize the ridiculous and toxic ideas around sports. I mean, toxic have- masculinity like reaches its zenith in sports. Sports yeah. is the space for it. Oh so yeah, you like you can't even. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is why I sometimes chuckle inside when I think about it. All right. Well, let's jump into topics. So this week, Jason uh, brought up this topic about taxes. And then him and Trisha started going at it online. And I was like, everyone to your own corners. We should never have a conversation unless it's recorded. So <laughs> <laughs> we should send out like we should do like screenshots of the text like send it out as a liner newsletter note. which is just our text string <laughs> all week we should. Um, but in any case jason tell us why you're all fired up about taxes and, and, I'm and about wait, to- before you start you're gonna have to go real slow because taxes are boring so <laughs> you have to make this as sexy as possible go i had the idea for this topic when chris texted trisha and me not in the context of the podcast he texted us saying he just did his taxes and he was shocked at how much money he had to pay in taxes, much more than in previous years. And it seems weird in the context of this big tax cut that supposedly the federal government you know, passed and Trump signed into law. And, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if this was what was at play, but it reminded me of all of the controversy around what's called the SALT deduction, the state and local tax deduction. And so it's interesting, the three of us, I guess not surprisingly, each live in a blue state with relatively high taxes relative to other states. So, you know, as part of part of the big tax cut, they had to figure out how they were going to pay for all those cuts because the government still needs revenue. And one of the big places they found, and there are political reasons why the Republicans were delighted to find this, was that they would no longer allow people to deduct from their federal tax obligations what they were paying in state taxes. So states like New York, which again have relatively high taxes, people in New York got to basically deduct what they were paying in those taxes to the state of New York from what they owed the federal government. And okay, so you- okay, so just to slow down, like the more tax you paid in your state, the less federal liability you'd have. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And that's something they took away. So now people in New York feel like they're being double taxed because they're they're paying now much more to the federal government because they're no longer taking that deduction. And so, you know, initially there's a lot of outrage because again, there's this concept of, oh, we're being double taxed. And and this is, I think, absolutely valid. It's also kind of a push by the Republicans in Congress and Trump to put pressure on states to lower taxes too, because People don't want to pay that much more in taxes. But the interesting thing about it, and this is the question I want to pose, is thinking about it, I never thought about it before this controversy, I actually think the SALT deduction was a regressive tax. And I actually think it's much more equitable and progressive for states like New York, Maryland, and California for people to actually have to pay more to the federal government and not be able to say, well, I paid a lot more to my state, so I'm not paying the federal government as more. Because with the SALT deduction, essentially, I mean, the way I see it, and I want to hear your reactions to this, our states, which are relatively wealthy states, very wealthy compared to places like Alabama, Mississippi, et cetera, I mean, we, we were getting away with hoarding our funds within our states, that those states need our dollars 
for things like Medicaid and Social Security. And we were basically keeping our money in our own states. And so for the three of us that I think are actually typically pro-federal government, it's okay to pay more taxes if vulnerable populations benefit. This change is actually a good change. Like this is one of the things that when the Dems get back in power, I don't know that I would, I mean, I actually think they should keep it this way because I think this was, uh, this was, it's more of a kind of conservative, regressive states' rights kind of thing with the SALT deduction. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Trisha? (laughs) Um, I think the one thing that we have discovered at the start of this presidency, we talked about how in some ways we are going to see this emergence of like a state's rights language from populations that traditionally didn't think about the state, the state that they lived in, in a particular way. Right. Um, We always sort of look to the federal government because we've often experienced the federal government as the one that intervened when states were, say, regressive. However, we now have a regressive federal government. And so I find myself maybe in a previous iteration, I would have been comfortable with uh, with the removal of the assault. But I think there's been some power in the idea that, oh, I'm in a blue space blue state or I'm in a red state. And now I don't want blue state money to go to states that have, in some sense, regressive ideas. Oh, oh, you you went there. I went there. I went there. You know, I mean, because in some ways, you know, right now we have this, I, I was at a conference recently and they were talking about, some of the attendees were talking about how they can't go to certain, they can't go to certain conferences in certain states because like you can't go to North Carolina because of what they're doing around like bathroom laws and you can't go to um, Texas because of some of the things that they're trying to do around like abortion. I mean, what, what hand do you have in sort of punishing states that choose to go down these regressive social pathways if you can't withhold your money? It's initially really punitive, but I just, I don't, I don't really feel that comfortable with it. It's initially punitive. And then it continues to be punitive. There's no other side to what you're saying. What you're saying, what you're saying basically is just that like, listen, red state, if you want to have stupid ass laws and be super racist, homophobic, misogynistic, well then twist Mississippi twist. What brings those states, what brings those states in line? Well, what I see where you're going with that. So you're saying, I'm just just curious, like what, what hand do you have? But what's the option then? So what you're saying is that if you live in a state like that with those ideas and that's how they're spending tax money and, you know, if they're not getting tax money from the state, from other states, then their option is to move to those states. So if you live in rural Alabama and you're sick of the bullshit, you should pick up and move to California. I mean, come on. The privilege in that is, is. It's not, a, I'm not first of all, I didn't say anyone should move. I, I said, know you didn't say that, but what I'm saying is what are the options then? If the options is, are you have to turn your state blue, which is okay. what a lot of people are doing, which is what a lot of people have aggressively started to do because they say, they say, look at the repercussions of the choices you're actively making. And people look around and say, okay, we're making poor choices. And some people are working really aggressively to turn their respective communities and states blue. I'm not saying blue is the perfect thing, but I'm just saying, listen, you are you have regressive ideas that are inculcated in your politicians that you then choose, Mm -hmm. who then continue to support tax structures, maybe for within your own state, 
that punish its own citizens. Like what? But not, but not happen? anymore. I mean, this this new conservative government has unleashed this thing where we're pay, we're paying more in federal tax, right? So in that way, <laughs> all those red states are getting a pass because. And I, and I I don't that's what I'm Jason, saying. I don't know if I agree with you necessarily about the way this money is being redistributed. Yeah, it's being it, redistributed. It, it, I, you're making a large assumption about where, where all this gonna extra go. money is going to end up. But um, I mean, let's stick here in this in this mode for a second. Like these regressor policies are working. These conservative politicians they're doing exactly what people want. Like they're taking all. Again, I'm going to say, listeners, this is a fantasy like we're this is conjecture but we're taking the money from the rich states and distributing it amongst the poor states i thought no one liked that i thought that was uh oh, no one likes that, anything until true. trump says it then they're no but exactly it. that's what's interesting about it that, i mean that's what that's what intrigued me about it because this is a case where the republican congress and trump i think have passed notwithstanding all your points which i think are good points but they passed a very progressive Tax reform. That's what's and and what Chris just said. I think is exactly right. Trump and in his insanity has moved the Republican Party to do things that are like completely, completely opposed to how they saw the world. But so let me. I mean, but I do. But I I want you to comment though, Jason, on the assumption that you made in the initial framing, which is that this extra federal money, this money that now people from richer states have to pay, you're making an assumption that it's being distributed to other states. And I'm not, I just want to know more about why you feel like that's the case. Or is that your dream case? No, it's not an assumption. You can look at the federal budget online. The money we pay in taxes, you know, state, what we make in blue states or regardless, it, it essentially primarily goes in a couple places. One, a lot of it goes to Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. Like federal? we know that. Yeah, the taxes we pay to the federal government largely go to those places. Now, a lot of it's also going to defense more than I, much more than I think should. So that's mm-hmm. part of the current budget as well. Money we pay the federal government, you know, I mean, I will always say like a lot of it gets wasted. A lot of it goes to things that we wouldn't necessarily agree with, but largely our federal taxes go to those three, you know, social programs social and, and defense. I, I actually know numbers on this. About a quarter of the federal money goes to Medicaid, Medicare chip, and then Social Security is another quarter of that. Right. So that's where half the money is so going. That's like a we lot. know that for a fact. But then the other 50% is going to defense. No, 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 no. It's not where that. It's it? actually not that much. The other 50%, um, less than 20, 20, I can pull this up. 15, 20% of it goes to defense. And the rest of it is like, blah, 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 this, that, and right. the other. You know, um, yeah, very little of it. I, I, this is why I know this. Very little of it is spent on education because most of yeah. state budgets goes to education. Most right. of state budgets goes to education and health programs. Why should we lose any of that? Which part? I mean, I think the thing about this, this is this is weird, right? Because so, so the idea is that in the long term, the pressure is on state, on states to raise taxes to make up for the loss that now the federal government has taken, right? No, no, there's no loss. There's no loss. You're just paying more taxes. The assumption always is that the state will feel the onus of raising taxes. No, because what's happening here is the states are getting the same money they were making, say, last year. 
Yeah. But the Fed, and they were able to deduct some, so they paid the federal government less. So the federal government's like, no, 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 you're paying us more now. So the states are making the same money they are, and the federal government's making more money. The um, responsibility that falls on richer states, because we're all, you and I are already paying high tax. Mm-hmm. And so now we just have to just pay more tax, which right. feels burdensome. Believe but, no, me, but it feels burdensome. It feels burdensome. But the thing is that usually what ends up happening, though, I think that's because I think this was um, when people were sort of challenging this question is then wealthier citizens push on the state to lower their taxes. Okay. Yes, that's, that, that ends up being the punchline. And you don't want wealthier citizens to pay less taxes. So it becomes a kind of punitive cycle. So I, yes, I think that, I mean, that's the problem with them removing the salt deduction the way they did. To me, it comes to a question of fair share, like putting aside that, and and it's a very important one, but just putting aside for a second, that tangential consequence of there's going to be pressure now for states to lower taxes. Just fundamentally, it seems like, it seems to me to be a valid question that if you have a SALT deduction, are you basically allowing wealthier states to not pay their fair share to the federal government um, for for many of the things we're talking about? I'm saying, I think from a kind of fundamental principle tax policy point of view, I think the SALT deduction was allowing wealthy states to not pay their fair share into important federal programs. So you like what's happening now? Except federal, except except it's so interesting. Except wait, people wait, Trisha, hold that for for cutting federal government programs. Say that again. Except we're often often these federal government programs are on the chopping block. Well, I mean, I, I disagree with that part, but also, I mean, you can say they're on the chopping block, but there's been no um, sense that it's ever going to go away. Which is like, yeah, I mean, Medicare and Social win, Security, like. We have more. We have a more and more powerful block of people as they get older. It's hard to imagine those are going anywhere. The thing about taxes, and this is what makes them so boring, is, is that <laughs> no, they, they're not. They, they, they're so boring. But it's impossible to understand because Trisha, what you're referencing when you hear a news story like Medicaid's on the chopping block. Medicaid is a, a gigantic portion of sure. our federal budget, and when they say it's on the chopping block, usually what it is it's like one provision for one particular kind of thing, which <laughs> total a couple of tens of millions of dollars, which is a infinitesimal part of the budget. So it's like it gets blown out of proportion, and then no one really understands how our tax dollars work. Um, Except there's people attached to that infinitesimal. No, 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 and I'm, I'm no, I'm not you know saying I mean? that it's a throwaway. Like I know that, but. I'm saying in our minds and the collective conscious, it's always, we always feel like Medicaid itself is on the chopping block. And that's not, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yes, of course it's people's lives, but it's not the entire system. Like the federal government is never saying let's, let's cancel 25% of the budget and just move in a different direction. But by the Um, way, this is why Paul Ryan is no longer in government because he actually wanted these things to be substantially reformed. And Trump won that argument and said, no, we're going to spend more and cut taxes. Spend more and cut taxes. Seems like that's a recipe for disaster, ultimately. Hello, Spend that's the more. Well, yeah, but I mean. Well, but I mean, taxes. he cut taxes on some people. Believe me, he did not cut them on me. <laughs> Let me tell you something, America. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I have never paid more tax than I have this year. And there have been years in the past when I've made almost twice as much money as I've made this year. 
So figure that shit out, accountants. <laughs> it's because of this. It's because they got rid of salt. Yeah. <laughs> And also because apparently you got more in your pocket, but you just didn't notice it. That's what everyone says. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, but you, you had more like money during the year. I was like, I just took it all back. Thank you for letting me hold my extra $70 a month or whatever. They gave you a no interest loan. Stop complaining. <laughs> my own money. I lent myself my own money and then I had to give it away. Oh, yeah, yeah, see, yeah. see, this is wait, wait, what you just said. This is what's funny to me about this whole conversation. <laughs> you sound like such a conservative Republican, just like when Trisha in the text exchange was like, I don't want my money going to the federal government. I want it in my own state. I was like, wow, you sound like a conservative Republican. Like, it's amazing what Trump <laughs> you know, has done to all of us. <laughs> but no, I mean, no, I think realistically, you have to recognize that if you have a regressive federal government, you don't want your money going there. I, I hear that. The the challenge becomes I mean, there are a lot of poor people in Mississippi, right? There are a lot of poor people in Alabama, and they don't – those two states, while there's – I totally agree, lots of oppression and problems with their state policies, et cetera, those states do not have – the resources that a New York or California or a Maryland All right. Had. Okay, I'm putting on my conserve. I'm putting on my Make America Great hat again Let's right see. now. <laughs> Here I go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some controversial shit. Are you ready? Right? Oh my god. I'm gonna sound crazy, but I'm going somewhere. So please stick with me. Why should I care about the people in Alabama and Mississippi? Stop. Now see listen. That? Oh, careful, Trisha. Because you were you were Skating around this earlier. I didn't, no I, didn't, I, didn't, I said they have to choose better representatives oh, for themselves. Or, or, or they're going to be stuck with <laughs> shitty policies. So I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking what you're saying to the next degree. Like, I'm not listen, at the end of the day, Alabama, if this is the way you want to operate business, then you're not going to get any of my money. Like, okay. So I've said that and it's out there. And I think it's a question that people want to ask. Like, you know, we have a confederacy of states. Right, we all these little these fifty fiefdoms, and we all begrudgingly come together to work on stuff together. But at the end of the day, it's really state by state. Our state government is the most; it's the thing that provides for us the most. Now, yes, defense and healthcare is what the federal government shells out for. But like your day to day is controlled by state state taxes and the state economy. So if that's true, and Alabama and Miss and Alabama's down there doing just the worst in criminal justice, in health, in environment. Why do I want my money going there? Like, why do I want to pay more federal tax? Jason's saying like, oh, it will help the poor people there. But I have an eye on those Southern states and I see how they spend their money. I see what's important to them. And I'm not confident that my money is going to the poor people in that state. Maybe I don't want my taxes going there. So there it is. I said it. So two things. One, again, I just want to go back to a lot of that money is going to Medicaid um, and welfare programs, which are federal programs. The second thing I would say, though, is I think the the position you two are taking is defensible under one circumstance, and that is if we are willing to go and get those poor black people and move them to a black land, Here which which I no longer think can be located in Georgia because clearly Georgia is committed to remaining red, but let's bring them to Prince George's County, Maryland, set them up for a better life. Then it's fine. I am fine with cutting off tax dollars to those States. Once we get those people to safety. So we need an modern day underground railroad 
I love that. Oh, I love that, Chris. Oh, TM, my God. Uh, R in a circle, C in a circle. You can't take it. I mean, Jason has sound, sort of found a deduction that um, we can quibble about the salt one because it, it feels as if that was like a that was actually a positive thing that Trump did. But it looks to me like when you look at the tax code in some ways, right, that's that was kind I of disagree. But go ahead. But that's the larger argument, right, is like even though we're supposed to hate everything that was done around the tax cut. Here's this one minuscule piece that's actually progressive. Yeah, and let but, me just say, the way I would say it is, for all the wrong reasons, I for think all the, the Republican reasons. Congress and Trump passed a progressive policy. Which, which in some ways was intended to punish, in, yes. in, it was to punish blue states, which is yeah. the origin and the reason, the rationale for why he did this. He didn't yeah, do this all the wrong reasons that Jason's excited by. Oh, he just right. looked at it and like, okay. hey, how do we punish the blue states? Which is one of the reasons why I'm less... This comes around to my central idea, which is like, if that's the way the president is operating, if that's the way the federal government is operating, then why should I care about other states? Like, if I'm being punished because of my ideologies, then why should I be okay? I know I'm a progressive, but why am I okay with throwing my money then? Like, it doesn't, that doesn't compute to me. Like, we need to be in a different country then where we can actually make sense of that we care about people who live thousands of miles away from us in different situations. Like, but if we're... if the current political environment is that, oh, the president wants to punish people in blue states by taking more of their money, then I'm not certain why I as a citizen needs to care about where that money is going. Because clearly the president is very much about like everyone needs to take care of themselves. And like, but I don't know. like th- This is the fun, but this is what, what you're just articulating is what worries me so much about our country right now. Like Trump will be gone at some point. But what worries me, not just about what you just articulated, but where the Democratic Party goes, is I feel like we're having emotional reactions because of intentions. And yet we should be, I I think, will be much better served focusing on where money goes and what policies do. What worries me so much, and this is both sides of the aisle, we're all in such reactionary mode to this idiot. And that that is not best. Like we need to be thinking about what is good policy, not well. If Trump's doing it for this reason, I should be thinking this. Like no, like let's come up with good tax policy. Let's not like th- this is a a moment in our history. This this is what scares me about how we react to the current administration. Except you are you're presuming that an outcome doesn't um doesn't impact people's sensibilities around things. You know, just because you think that this is a fair redistribution of money, the reasons why it happened is a huge deal. It's a big thing because what you end up saying is you end up supporting someone who says, I'm going to generate punitive laws and punitive policies based on ideas that I don't like, which, okay, fine. I do that with the red state question, but really that's really what this president has done. And I I mean, I can't, just because maybe it has a good outcome that you like for the moment doesn't mean that it should be supported. I just don't agree with that idea. Wait, if it, so wait, I just want to talk, say back to what you just said. Even if it's good policy, because it was done for a bad reason, we should get rid of that policy? No, I'm not saying we should get rid of the policy. I think that's what you policy. just said. No, I didn't say that we should get rid of the policy, but I'm just saying that you skirt around that by just focusing on the outcome. Just because you say he created good policy, it doesn't mean that we can't have a conversation about the reason why the policy was done. No, we should have that conversation. Yeah. What worries we, me, though, is... is Remember, we're like, not going to reason- reject the policy. It's, well, it's I bad. think people are, though. That's what worries me. I mean, people are rejecting it because there are other ways that he could have he could have raised money for the federal government. He could have he could have taxed corporations. He could have done more in 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 a way that actually generated a sense of actually shared values, right? 
you, if you, ask, you know what I mean? If you ask corporations to pay more, that's a different language you're using. There it is. And that's, that's different. That's and that what gets I'm you the at. same outcome. It gets you the same outcome, more money for the federal government. But instead, what you have is I'm going to punish you because you did yes. not vote for me you're and I'm still more of your money. You're that's, still that's obsessing different. over what you're saying back to Trump. Here's what worries me. And this is it's, how I started. Not, but Jason, no, no, what no, I'm, but, no, but, what I'm, I'm saying is, here. Go ahead. what I'm saying is you are the person that wants the train to go faster. However, you get there. That is, you cannot always, you cannot always settle on that. It's important. Uh, you could, he could have done the exact same thing by raising corporate taxes. I, but but I you're still talking about him. My point is this. When the Dems are back in power, if there is a real interest in progressive policy that supports vulnerable populations, this particular policy of not allowing states to have a SALT deduction, I think should stay. Lots of other things should change. Yes, like corporations paying more taxes, I am fine with. But what I am saying is this was a regressive policy that we tolerated and ignored for a long time. This is one we should not, just because it was done for bad reasons, get rid of because it is it is a it is a pro-equity progressive policy. When Trump is dead and gone, this should still be policy. Okay. I I'm gonna just wade in between the two of you. I agree with both of you, but I don't think you're talking past each other. So Jason, strictly speaking, yes. However, and I think this is what Trish is getting at. This nothing exists without context. The messaging and the environment and the fever that Trump has whipped up has tainted this policy, right? So yeah. The ideas behind why this operates, why it's happening, and how it's supposed to funnel the money in particular ways has – it's tainted by him and his policies. Yeah. You want to separate that out and be like, no, like this is its own policy and after he's gone, we should keep it, but just change the messaging around it. That's a possibility. But I And I think – and Trisha, I don't mean to speak for you, but I was really vibing with what you were saying before – the policy that you dream of and the reasons it exists is not what's happening today. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with having the conversation of completely being critical of the president and his intentions. Yes. But what worries me is I worry we're going to make in the future, we're going to make decisions. I, I, you already see it in some of the platforms of the democratic candidates where policy platforms are being developed in reaction to Trump. Yes. And and that may have negative consequences for the Democratic platform. Like, that's what worries me. If we're going to make policy based mm -hmm. on an emotional, uh, the rhetoric is fine. Like, I'm fine being critical. But if we're going to make policy based on emotional reactions to the current president, we are losing. He is winning. I don't agree. But I think that the idea, though, that policy is being made objectively by one party over the other is um is off. It's Presumption, not an, it's not an objective thing. Listen, you 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 think that you're selling people on policy outcomes, but you're not. We don't. We don't sell on policy outcomes. I wish we did, but we don't. I agree. You know, um, and so the rhetoric that actually surrounds it is actually really powerful. It's what makes people feel unified or divided. Even though this might, I mean, you're right. You know, I think later on when people look at the tax code, they're going to be like, oh, maybe we've, we got this or not. But I mean, I, I, I doubt it because I think in the long run, 
I think a lot of people are going to feel, and I think a lot of states are going to feel as if their wealthier citizens were punished, and there's going to be a lot of pressure to roll back this salt deduction thing. So maybe, but the but the conversation around that is probably going to be more valid than the rationale that that Trump offered up to 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 get rid of the salt deductions in the first place, which is probably not great. But the idea is that you have to participate in conversing with the citizenry, not in a punitive. Mm -hmm damaging conversation. Let's think about it in a very personal way. You know what? I'm stopping my kids from hanging out with their dads, but the long, but the impact of that is that they hang out with their grandparents and they have a great relationship with their grandparents. Fine. A great outcome. But why did you do it? You've got to come together in some ways and have a conversation with the, with the dad and, and, and end up in a better place. You can't just say, well, in the end though, the outcome is great. Even though we took a bad path there, it feels like to me the path is a huge part of what makes people feel as if they're yes. part of a community. Like you can't just, you know, it would be wonderful if we could just focus on the outcome, but we don't. We focus on the rationale for it. We focus on the the reasons why we do things. We focus on the rhetoric around it, and the rhetoric around it is what makes or breaks us. It really is. Like if you decide, if you get what you want by saying the wrong thing, you might not get what you want. That was far more sexy than I thought it was going to be. People manipulate tax language. Well, you know, it's like it, taxes end up being about emotions, doesn't it? It because is. Money feels like an extension of us in this capitalist society. So <laughs> where my money goes and how my money gets spent is really about me and my ideals. And so, you know. It's about values. I mean, that, yeah, that word like, is is meaningfully, you know, has an economic root, but it is, you know, how we feel. Which doubles back and supports Trisha's point where if our money is about values, then how that story gets told is really important. I agree. I agree. Okay. So we've come full circle. We're going to move on to um, gay stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Great transition. (laughs) Former GOP congressman Aaron Schock, who um, is known for being really handsome, having a six pack and using uh, his congressional money to make his office look like Downton Abbey. That is a true story. (laughs) Anyway, while he was in Congress, he voted against the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He voted in favor of a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriage. He has a zero rating from the Human Rights Campaign. Aaron Schock, however, uh, I should note that he was indicted on some counts of wire fraud. He no longer... He resigned from Congress like four or five years ago. Since then, he's moved to West Hollywood. And this weekend, he was spotted at Coachella um, kissing men and shoving his hands down their pants to everyone's great enjoyment. Now, there are pictures of this and people have gone online and they have uh, outed him, as it were, which, I mean, if you're in a certain circle, he was never really in, but whatever. But it got me thinking about the politics of outing. Because my where I come from is that back in the day, you outed people to ruin them because homosexuality was such a stink, you didn't want to be associated with it. Now, in this particular case, like the people, it's a lot of gay activists who are outing him. You know, they're saying, I don't enjoy outing people, but people need to know that because these are the ideas that he holds, and this is the identity that he apparently subscribes to, those things should not work in concert, and we have to publicize that. I was wondering what you two thought about that, the idea that you have a slate of policies that should match up with your identity, and if they don't, then 
so uh, shaming, public shaming. I know you two are really big into that. Trisha, what do you think? <laughs> you can say that I'm outing you to punish you. But I think in this moment, you're, I'm outing you to ask, um, to call into question your political um, history. Um, so it's actually a truthful moment, to be honest, in my mind. Because um, uh, the people who are outing him don't think that being gay is wrong. I think what they're outing him to do is to ask the question about if you are a gay person, why have you supported these regressive ideas about gay people? Well, this is my question to you then, right? That's the question that everyone appears to be asking. But my question is, even, okay, he's, he's gay. He likes men, right? Yeah. Why does that back end into him having a particular slate of policy? Should it back end into him having a particular slate of policy? I mean, does he have a, what? He should have a policy that leads to his own annihilation? How does that even make sense? Like, I, I mean, I mean not just his own annihilation, right? Fine. But like his ability to live a good life, his ability to pursue the kinds of things he wanted if he wanted to be in the military, his ability to um, get married if he wanted that. I mean, like, I don't understand. I don't even understand why this is a conflict for people. I have zero problem with outing him in this moment about this issue, because I, I want to then offer you a platform to to talk about why is it okay for you to deny these rights to a community in which you are a part of? Can we have Jason? a about that? I mean, Jason. I think I, I think I pretty much agree. I mean, because because I think the negative reaction, the, to talk about intent again, but the intent of the outing and the negative reaction is not that he's gay; it's that he's arguably a hypocrite. And I am all about outing hypocrisy. Like I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I just I I'm all for that. So. I'm fine with it. Now, I think that larger question of, you know, whether someone should feel pressure to embrace certain policies because of who they are, it's a reasonable question. By the way, side note, I just find it fascinating how many people are gay who are in the Republican Party and pursue policies that I think are, you know, detrimental to people who are gay. Um, I saw this myself when I was in the government and I've seen lots written about it. It's just amazing to me. But I saw it myself when the Republican National Convention was in New York City and I was young and single. Let me tell you something. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. You have pictures anyway. you want to post to out people's hypocrisy? <laughs> I'm saving them for just the right moment. <laughs> well, I mean, but, you know, but I, I mean, I think Jason makes a fair point. Like there's a larger question about how is your identity tied to certain political ideology, right? Um, and it's fine. And what are we supposed to do with that information? But listen, it's fine if you're Republican because you want to, you want to, you want to save your, you want to save on taxes. That makes some sense. But this is an individual who supported, pol- who supported law that was actually going to make life more difficult for gay people. It wasn't like inconveniences, like, right. you know, oh, you're getting paid less money or any of those kinds of things. It's like, you're not able to have get married. You're not able to be in the military. I mean, those are, those are substantial life choices for gay people. So I, mm-hmm. I, that is confusing to me. That's not a quibble like, oh, well, um, they're black Republicans. But then let me look right. at the specific laws or the specific specific policy goals that you have. If that is going to be detrimental to large chunks of your community, we have to ask those questions. We have to put we have to put you on blast. What is that assumptions, about? Assumptions. Assumptions that Aaron Schock subscribes to a community. I mean he might live in West Hollywood. Apparently he likes touching penises, but like the idea of a social community 
is not something that you get a membership to just because your behavior or the identity you hold. Is that, well, isn't that true? But uh, I would say it slightly differently and you may disagree with this, but so what you're, you're raising fair questions. He may not identify as gay. He may not consider himself part of the gay community, but there are people who to Trisha's point want to be in the military, for instance, mm-hmm. and can't because they engage in behaviors like he engages in like to me that is hypocrisy and i i I think the distinction trisha's making is is very valid like i think about totally different issue but like tim scott um you know who's republican and a lot of black republican a lot of people think that he in his support of um the republican party and i think he's was kind of seen as a tea party guy like they're like oh the policies you you know, you pursue or detrimental to black people. Well, I think he just disagrees. And I think, you know, he has his own point of view and that's fair. If I remember correctly, when Trump has said really racist and sensitive things, like he has called him to task for that. And so I just feel like he's someone where he has, you know, he has a point of view. That's a fair point of view, even if most people disagree with it, but he's still, when he sees something that clearly is detrimental to, you know, people who, um, he shares an identity with, like he is willing to call them out on that. And I just think that's very different from someone who seems to be, you know, in the closet and pursuing policies that are clearly detrimental to people who engage in the same behavior that he does. And yet like he engages in the behavior, but then turns around and, you know, acts against other people's interests. You know, what interests me about Aaron Schock and other um, conservative uh, minorities, as I'm going to say, like gay conservatives and black right. conservatives, or like you know the epicenter of all hell, gay black Republicans. Um, <laughs> what does it What does it mean to have a conservative viewpoint when your access to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness is like only goes back like sixty years? I've been trying to wrap my mind around this because like there's all these like. Uh, conservatives coming out and they're like, I'm gay and I'm black and I I deserve respect. And I'm like, okay, I, I just, I won't get into the mindset, but I don't understand what it means to have to, to want to hearken back to traditional values when you go back more than one generation and it's all a shit show for people like you. And so it got me thinking like Aaron shock, I'm going to be honest in certain circles, Aaron shock was never really in, you know, gay people talk like he was never really in whether he lives his life as a gay man or, or not, I don't know how to approach that question, but clearly he is fine denying rights to other people. I just, I don't know if that makes him part of my community as a gay person. I'm just well, trying to get into, I don't know how you arrive there. I'm well, interested. It's gotta be a point of view because people hold it. And all these people aren't insane. Well, you know, what's interesting. So, you know, this reminds me of, um, Miss Owens, and I'm not going to reference too much about her. But I think one of the questions that was raised is how do how do the communities that you are a part of punish um, those who sort of break its own rules, right? And one thing that one thing that sort of came out of the discussion is that the black community is pretty good at at sort of ostracizing those who support policy initiatives that are going to lead to its own destruction. And so the question I have is how does the gay community respond to people like that? Do you have means of sort of identifying those folks and sort of um, not rewarding them as parts of your community? Because I think that that's something that um, I think that's, it's very clear to me that maybe 
there hasn't been a distinction made around that with the gay community. Maybe there wasn't a maybe there was in the past. Maybe during the during like the AIDS fight, you can make a clear distinction that the Republican Party wanted you all to die. I don't know, but it's like how do you deal with in group out group kind of ownership? That's a great question. I'm not sure how I would answer that. That's a really great question. Hmm. I mean, and and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> I think the strength of your community is best um, is best shown in who is not a part of it who you define as not belonging in it in some ways, which sounds harsh, but if you're going to work towards liberation, you do have to make some distinctions about what are appropriate, um, who are appropriate allies, who are the people who should speak for you. Um, I think that's a question that may need to be asked among gay people. (laughs) Who are your representatives? For a second. Like, do you consider black Republicans to be part of the black community? I mean, sometimes they're not. They're, sometimes what, they're, they're ostracized quite strongly. Like, Jason, I mean, let's be honest, right? Yeah. You've seen that. Mason, what do you think? Well, as the authority of who gets to be uh, included oh, in the up. black community and the gay community as a white heteronormative male. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, look, I, I think a black Republican is clearly black and a gay Republican is gay. I mean, I, I think about what you raised, Chris, the, the question of like, how can you be a conservative when, you know, conservative has to do with conserving the past and the past was so detrimental to people of color. But you know what? There's a long history of that. I mean, you know, you go back like Frederick Douglass was very much like the Declaration of Independence is great. We just need to be included. And W.B. Du Bois, I think, is in the souls of black folks said black people are conservative in all matters except race. And again, it was like we want, you know, Everything, everything at the foundation of the country is actually great, except for slavery. And we just want to be included in everything. Martin Luther King, same kind of argument. Like we, those, those truths that were told by the founding fathers. Like we just want to be included. I, I think it's actually much more recent. You don't hear that kind of rhetoric anymore. But I think you know, again, like someone like Tim Scott or even Clarence Thomas, I think would probably say, you know, it's about getting included. Um, and, and so, you know, I think most people disagree with them, but I think there is a long tradition of conservatism itself not being bad. It's just, it needs to be inclusive. Um, so, but that's very different from someone, you know, that's the opposite in some ways of the viewpoint of, you know, voting for something that's, that's literally going to exclude gay people from the military. Like it is, it is, um, you know, that's a, that's a different line of thinking. I can't answer your question about like who's in and who's out of a community. Like, I mean, I, I'm very much, I don't know. I just think people should be able to identify how they identify the community they identify with may not be very accepting of them, but I'm not going to tell somebody that they, you know, they can't identify as black or gay. Yeah. And there's no prescription about it. However, I mean, I will contrast to, to Jason's point that there's a long conservative tradition but where people start and where they end up is actually quite different because where Martin Luther King started and where he ended up is not conservative. Very different. You know, they all start off yeah. saying, let's be included. And then they take it to the next level when they realize that the American experiment is actually very flawed. And then they're like, we don't even want inclusion anymore. We want other things. We want a brand new structure. Right. So and I think you're, you're talking right. about it from a, from a temporal standpoint. There's also some evidence that, 
there's the rhetoric and then there's what's actually going on. Like King may have been talking to communist folks while he was saying publicly, you know, like Americanism is fine. We just want a piece of it. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's that dialogue back and forth, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, it's interesting. I'm curious because, you know, Chris, you raised this point, but there are in group out group things that happen. Maybe they're not formalized structures, but they're informal. And I, um, and you know, it doesn't stop you from holding your beliefs and doing what you want. You have complete freedom to do that. But a community has has also the freedom to decide whether you're a part of it or not. And they let you know whether you are or aren't. They, it's like you know, are you invited to the parties? You're not. <laughs> and we know, and we can see, and we can see the signals of who people really believe. And I, I mean, this might be a whole other thing again too. But I feel like that holds far less sway in the gay community than it does in the black community. Of course. That's you know the I mean? power of the black community. That's the it thing. Like, like you say Ben Carson's name, people roll their eyes, right? Black people roll their eyes. We know why. I feel like that's a really powerful thing. Like black in-grouping, out-grouping is very powerful. Like black politicians, black people in the public eye, they have a line to tell. I don't think that exists to the same degree with gay people. I think Aaron Schock... In in his case, though, I'm not certain that he will lose any power or cachet for this. Like Jason referenced before, this is a long-standing Republican tradition of like not being down with gay dudes, but then just running up to the nearest glory hole you can find. <laughs> let me ask oh you. my god! Oh, okay, wait. Let me ask I'm you. Clutching my pearls. Let me ask you. Why do you? But you know, I think the reason it's clear in the black communities, there's like a shared history and a shared understanding of history. Mm-hmm. There isn't there a share. I mean, I think it's the same thing. You might even find that same thing with different ethnic groups, right? Maybe it comes out of ethnic studies. Like what is the shared LGBTQ history and understanding of oppression in that community? Well, in America, because in, because listen, intersectionality mm. is really, mm. Mm, I'm going to be controversial, yeah. but it's really an LGBTQ issue, right? Because that's the one minority that like white people can completely gain access to some of the privilege. It's like white women, right? Like feminism is really hard to translate to white women because at the end of the day, they're white and they just want to make it about something else, about inclusion or, you know, sometimes low bars. Mm-hmm. But LGBTQ people, like the consequences have been so severe in the past, but even more so along racial lines. So it's, it's trying to tackle that in this particular historical moment is very, very fascinating. Someone always, someone said recently that if you're trying to tackle an issue, immediately just say at the end of the issue, but what about black women? And it blows all of the kinds of like (laughs) arguments go out the door because of the intersections of which um, black women in, um, exist, right? And so you're saying you could easily say the same things about, but what about if, black if, lesbians? If you walk into or black a, trans, yeah, I was gonna say if you walk into any like gay rally or gay whatever, and mm-hmm. people are talking about this, that, and the other, and you raise your hand, be like, "Well, what about uh, black trans women of color?" And be <laughs> the like, whole thing goes. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, we're gonna have to and. That exposes immediately what the agenda yep. is, yep. right? Always what, does. You know, and that's like you said, like, what about black women? Like, we, you go into like a feminist, you go into that fucking pussy march, 
and you'd be like, well, what about black women or, or what about trans women? And then everyone's like, cricket, cricket. Oh, we didn't consider that. And I'm like, exactly. Like, anyway. So I think, I mean, coming back around to this, I mean, I think your question about shame and shaming, <laughs> which you make fun of, I think for us, the shaming issue is about community, right? And it's about group membership. And it's about people wanting to feel like they belong. Shame is only powerful if people want to be a part of something. Right? I think that's my point. I think if you don't, if if you're not interested, like I said, like if you're a Republican guy who wants to have sex with guys and forget about how you feel about it internally, you just want access to it and you don't care if other people have access to it, then I mean, if you're not interested in being a part of the community in that way, then I don't I, I honestly don't know what the outgrouping is gonna do for you. It's not gonna affect you. I mean, that's the question, right? Um, and I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know if I feel comfortable with you saying that because I think some people define freedom as inherently existing within the Republican Party and the way it's ideology of like, do whatever you want. Kind not, of way. That's not the way it plays out. But it's not the way, exactly. It's not usually the way it plays out. They sort of go with the initial ideology instead of the reality of how it plays out, which is what, what happens. Ideology to- and they abandon it immediately when rubber hits the road. Well, it's so interesting because I find that that's really what happens when I talk to minority groups who are in sort of conservative spaces. They will really, really fall in love with the ideas. But then when you say, well, what is the actual policy and what's the actual platform of the party? It usually, that that's where the hemming and hawing is. And so in some ways, maybe it's a little bit like what Jason said is like, you might find the ideology attractive in its sort of founding principles, mm-hmm. but in practice, it's... <laughs> very far from what it actually is. And yeah. so, you know. Talk about hypocrisy. I mean, I oh my God, people are kneeling during the anthem. Like, <laughs> they should be fired. Like, what? I thought you were for, like, personal freedom and freedom of expression. No, like, right. what just happened? The moment rubber touches road, it's like, nope, 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 nope. They're all of that out. All right. So are we then saying, though, maybe this, this identifies it for you, Chris. Are we saying, though, that it's important for people when they are identifying with an ideology that they are actually identifying with the ideology as its practice, not in its pure essence. I don't, what do you mean? Uh, and I don't know. Maybe that's why somebody that. like, that's why you have somebody like a shock who's a conservative in his, in its ideology, but not in necessarily in, in actually how it plays out in the world. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a, a finer point on this. Right. And then we can move on. I think White men like Aaron Shock exist to a large degree. Like, of course. Yes. I mean, a lot of men have sex with men. They don't think of it as gay, and they're not interested in gay liberation. They're right. not lives. They're not interested in gay activism. They just want to be able to get off with whoever wants to get them off. So, in a way, and I'm not saying this is true of Aaron Shock, but I'm just thinking about people I've encountered in my lifetime and one particular friend of mine I know who is a conservative man who voted for Trump, but the stuff he gets into <laughs> and he does not identify as gay. He's got a wife and a daughter. Oh, well then, but you know, but the thing is, is that that all fits neatly together. And I'm always talking. I'm like, I need you to explain it to me one you don't even need to you don't even need to explain it you've already explained that that person is living as um that's an that person is not living as an existing in any kind of community of sort because he's a contradiction in terms 
I mean, he's married and me. then also do it. Not that that's any, you know, not that I'm judging yeah. infidelity, but I'm just saying this is not a person who is, is sort of responsive to kind of like community mores per se. So, <laughs> <laughs> His point is like he is part of a conservative tribe. You know, he is white. You know, he's very strong to his ethnic group. He has strong ties to that group. And he just, um, until he's naked with someone, with a man, he doesn't really consider any of that. And it can be, it's fascinating conversation. I've always wanted to have a conservative friend and now I've been cursed with one. But it sounds fascinating. I, you should bring really him on the podcast. I want to hear how he explains it. It's hard to, uh, I'll ask him if he wants to get on the podcast and talk <laughs> about, talk about his alliances. I'll, I'll be sure to text him about that. <laughs> I, just, I think it's so, I mean, <laughs> to each his own, to each his own. To each his own. And that's what I'm, that's what I end every conversation with him. I'm like, you know what? Well, I like you uh, and we're going to disagree about X, Y, and Z. But you know, anyway. Oh my God, you're doing that? Okay. Listen, part of my new rules after the whole election was like, I got to not reach across the aisle, not shake hands. I just need to create a better understanding. This is completely selfish. It's completely about me. I need to understand how people are operating so I can interact with the worst ones. That's all. I, I need more information and I'm getting it. I really am. Okay. So we're going to move on to media recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced. You think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Um, I heard a rumor that Jason has a good one. So I think it's good. We'll see what you two think. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I, I've been intrigued by this Lil Nas X Old Town Road controversy. <laughs> and I just want to say, like, so I went, you know, I, I listened to the song. I actually really liked the song. I saw the video of, like, the remix with uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. I love that video. It looks like it cost about $5 to make. And I just think it's, like, a good video. There's, like, the, the music's good. It's a good kind of crossover song. Lil Nas X is a very good dancer, both doing, like, Texas two-step as well as like hip hop dances. And I just, I just really enjoyed it. And that song kind of reminds me of, um, of uh, I want to be a rock star by Nickelback. I went back and looked at that video. And then that song reminds me of party like a rock star. And like, I don't know, there's something about those three songs and the videos. Like I, I just, I just really enjoy. Um, so I don't know that controversy. It's been kind of annoying. Cause like, you know, the country establishment took them off the charts and then Billy Ray Cyrus kind of, Got him back on. It's just been an interesting narrative, but I just, I really like the videos. Hmm. Trisha? So I, um, I think the thing that I've seen in the last week or two that I really love is the um, Aretha Franklin documentary. I loved it. You've seen it like a million times. I I mean, it's so, okay, so. I saw um, it on your Instagram like multiple times. Full confession. I went to see it. It's I heard about it. Um, like a, a while ago and I really wanted to see it. And then it got wide release like last, um, maybe like last week or so. And so I went to the movie theater, sat down. I was like, how is this going to be compelling? Cause basically it's basically 90 minutes of Aretha Franklin just singing um, because it's the taping of her number one gospel album. I think it continues to be one of the best selling gospel albums ever. And so it's just um, a version of um, the taping of it that took place in the 1970s. And so what she wanted to do was she wanted to have, um, she wanted to create a gospel album, but not just anyone in a studio. She wanted to, she wanted to tape it at a church so that you can have the experience of like gospel music. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's like contextualized music, right? So it's just 90 minutes of you watching her do that album. 
it is utterly compelling. Huh. Utterly compelling. Because what's Oh my really, gosh. It's not something really, I would see, but now I will. You know what? It isn't something you would see, but I've I send texts to everyone. I told my friends, take your mom to see it. You like, but what's wonderful about it is that um she they're no they obviously it's edited, but she sings most of the songs pretty much straight through because you can tell because she's sweating the whole time. Mm-hmm. So there's not there's no cutting so you can like wipe the sweat off or any yeah. of that. She's just like going straight through. And you know what? It is she captures the magic of gospel music, the one plus one but three mm-hmm. element that's there, it's magical. And she trusts the pastor that she is singing with. Because I think he, he's known her since um, her youth, apparently. And so what becomes really clear in the in it, and I wonder sometimes, because, you know, she didn't want this to be seen. Yeah, which I, wonder, I find that really interesting, by the that's way. That's super fascinating. And I, I have all sorts of theories about it. One theory is that I think she's super naked in it and super, I'm like, available because of the people that she's singing it with and her trust. And so she lets the pastor help her get to certain places in the song. Um, you know, the, the, it's, you go to church. All I can say is you do go to church. And so if you can find amazing grace and just, I mean, I would love it if you can support it in the theater, because I think it's nice that they, 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 they actually put it in theaters and encourage people to see it. So yeah, um, uh, listeners, I listened, I watched it immediately left the theater, pushed it up on my phone and bought another ticket and went back and watched it 10 minutes. Wow. Um, It's super compelling. She, you see her. I mean, she's in her twenties too, guys. It's like, that's awesome. (laughs) I will, I will check that out on your recommendation. Yeah. Super great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a really quick recommendation. This is just something I've been thinking about for a long time. You Mm -hmm. all know the song by Katy Perry. I kissed a girl. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Song is super problematic. But um, <laughs> there is a, some, a Swedish band who does a version of that called I Kissed a Boy. And listening to the lyrics sung by a man and having the gender switched makes you think about the events in the song completely differently. And I, I've been really musing on that, especially since what we said at the top of the show about you can do a lot of um, gay stuff in sports. You can do a lot of stuff that's typically ascribed to how we treat women in sports to men just because of the surroundings. And just switching the the words, I thought it just evokes an entirely different feeling. Like this was never the way I planned, not my intention. I got some brain drinking and lost my discretion. It's not what I'm used to. Just what it why you want. I'm curious. It, it feels really different. I think when Katy Perry does it, it's sort of like, you know, because we think of lesbianism really differently than we do about gay men on men stuff. Like the song just hit me in a completely different place. Did we all recommend um, music? Music? Yes, this was the music episode. <laughs> I also want to say, I love how Jason slipped in Blacktopia. <laughs> if, you, if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you know Jason has been pushing a, a, a separate state for Black people, not in a creepy way, in a totally empowering way. <laughs> a separate state for Black people. And I just love that three years later, you're still on that tip. Congratulations, Jason. Do you it know will never happen, but it's okay. I'm just like, Jason, if there is a separate state for Black people, where are you going to get dates? 
<laughs> oh, that was wrong. Oh, that was wrong. Oh, my goodness. And on that note, <laughs> I always imagined that I would be a member of the minority community in the black state. I'm not getting border patrol. They're going to be calling us from the border. They'd be like, there's this Jason guy here. We're like, mm, Jason who? I don't know if Jason. I just, I'm just saying. I don't know. <laughs> wow. I um, have dated non-black women for your, for your information. But if you, have to, if you have to assert it like that, then we all know what's really going on. <laughs> I oh said that with love, Jason, because I feel like we need to give you like a memorandum of understanding or something. <laughs> I love shaming, except when it's put on me. No, oh. it is never a shame to love black women. Let it's not a shame. I was just thinking about practicality of it. Like I was like, dude, wait a minute, do we yeah. give Jason a pass to come in? No, yeah. Jason would just be moping around White Tania while we're just at a eternal cookout. White Tania, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, everyone, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>